Hello, and welcome to the Conversations with Data podcast, where we bring you the most interesting discussions around data journalism. I'm your host, Tara Kelly, and today we'll be talking with Leonardo Milano, who leads the Center for Humanitarian Data's Predictive Analytics Team, which is part of the UN's Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. As countries around the world experience the pandemic at different stages, an increasing number of predictive models and projections are landing on decision-makers' desks and making their way into the news. But how can modeling be used to help the world's most vulnerable, already facing food shortages, conflicts, and economic hardship even before the pandemic? Leonardo Milano talks to us about how predictive models can help anticipate the trajectory of humanitarian crises and help organizations develop a fast and effective humanitarian response. He also explains what journalists need to be mindful of when using such models in their reporting. Let's take a listen to our conversation with Leonardo Milano. Um, Hi, Leonardo. Thanks so much for joining us today on Conversations with Data. I just wanted um, you to tell us a bit about yourself and your background, and also how a nuclear physicist like yourself ended up in predictive analytics. Yeah, uh, thanks. It's great to be here. Uh, Yeah, that's actually a a very good question. And the question could be, uh, why did a physicist end up in predictive analytics in the humanitarian sector, which is even more uh, unusual? I was actually doing my uh, PhD um, in physics when I initially became interested in uh, data science and in the use of data analytics and predictive analytics to support uh, decision making. As you said, um, I'm a physicist and I did my PhD at CERN, the large particle accelerator in, uh, in Geneva, which is probably the most exciting place to work for a physicist. But being in Geneva was even more exciting for me because for the first time I got in touch with many people working for either NGOs or the United Nations. And, you know, I happened to go to barbecues and parties where I would chat about my my work, about their work, and I realized that my uh, data skills and my technical skills could have an impact not only in science, but also in other sectors, in their sectors, for instance. Um, that's when I joined a bunch of other physicists that were um, organizing humanitarian hackathons at CERN. Uh, the idea is very simple. You take a multidisciplinary team with scientists and people from nonprofit organizations. You propose a very concrete humanitarian technology-related challenge, and you see what happens. And that was just inspiring for me. Um, and I kept organizing these events uh, during my free time for uh, for several years, when at some point I realized that this could have been my job and not only something to do during my free time. Um, I was doing my second postdoc in, in physics uh, at that time when I decided to change careers and I joined uh, a small NGO uh, working on displacement as data scientists. And that was the perfect place for me to learn and to become familiar with the, uh, with the humanitarian sector. Interesting. Um, so talk to us a bit about predictive analytics. Um, if someone were to start fresh with this, like how would, you, how would you define it? How would you describe it? Yeah, so I think at its core, predictive analytics is about making use of 
current and historical data to understand what is likely to happen or estimate some characteristics of an event that is likely to happen. But the field is very broad. For instance, predictive analytics is not only about estimating precisely a number, but may be successful also in providing a decision support tool to decision makers. Um, let me give you a, a concrete example. So many governments are now using uh, COVID-19 uh, epidemic models to estimate the number of intensive uh, care units needed and to scale up their capacity. This is an example of a quantitative model where the main goal of the model is to be precise in estimating the number of people that may require assistance given a set of initial conditions that could be the number of cases today. But governments are also considering different types of interventions and using more qualitative models to understand their effectiveness in, the re in reducing the overall impact of COVID-19. In this case, the main goal of the model is not to get the numbers right, but to correctly estimate the expected impact of different response strategies and eventually uh, also the unexpected consequences of a given policy. If I were to give a, a definition, I would maybe say that, especially for the humanitarian sector, it is mainly about supporting decision-making with analytical tools using the best data and contextual uh, knowledge available on a given issue. So uh, it, it can be used both for quantitative and qualitative data, predictive analytics. That's right. That's right. You know, you head up the Center for Humanitarian Data's predictive analytics team. What does that involve? So the Center for Humanitarian Data is part of the United Nations Office for uh, the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, usually called UNOCHA. And the overall goal of the center is to increase the use and the impact of data in the humanitarian sector. We believe that connecting people and data has the potential to improve the lives of the people that we are trying to assist in humanitarian emergencies. We manage the uh, Humanitarian Data Exchange, HDX, which is an effort to make humanitarian data easy to find and use for analysis. It was launched in uh, July 2014, and HDX has a growing collection of data sets about crises around the world and has been uh, accessed by users in more than 200 uh, countries and territories. So to go back to your question, we define humanitarian data as either data about the context where in which uh, a humanitarian crisis is occurring, so this could be, for instance, uh, baseline data or damage assessments or geospatial data. Uh, if we take the example of COVID-19, it could be, for instance, the location of hospitals and their capacity or the number of people living uh, in a given area or uh, the standard country boundaries that uh, all humanitarian organizations are using. Then um, the second category is data about the people affected by the crisis and their needs. And if we stick to the COVID-19 example, it can be, for instance, the number of uh, uh, confirmed cases or deaths, 
or uh, data on relevant risk factors of, of specific vulnerable groups, such as people in a food insecure condition or uh, without access to uh, safe water and sanitation. And the last one is data about the response by organizations and people seeking to help those who need assistance. Um, which could be, for instance, the set of different interventions promoted by the government uh, to respond to the uh, to the outbreak, or uh, the humanitarian, you know, the, the 4W mapping of who's doing what, when, uh, and where to provide assistance, or uh, the map of areas with uh, humanitarian access constraints uh, because of insecurity or uh, ongoing conflict. This is mainly around HDX, but the center also provides uh, other data-related services uh, to the humanitarian community, specifically around data literacy to foster the capability of humanitarians to access and use data in their daily work, data responsibility to help staff navigate the technical and ethical aspects of working with humanitarian data and the latest one is actually predictive analytics to help humanitarian agencies getting ahead of upcoming shocks and humanitarian crises interesting and who like what kind of not-for-profits use your data actually is not my organization's data um so uh, the center uh, for humanitarian data uh, makes an effort to make all humanitarian data available, easy to navigate and uh, uh, analyze. And these data sets are actually coming from uh, uh, more than 1,200 sources, including uh, international uh, NGOs, local NGOs, uh, UN agencies, and government partners. Tell me, what's the biggest misconception um, people have about predictive analytics and the work you do? I would probably say that the biggest misconception is that predictive analytics in the humanitarian sector is mainly a technical challenge. Uh, you know, people may just say, get the data and build the model, which is actually the perfect recipe for, for failure. Uh, the technical aspect of developing a model, um, I think is actually the easy part. I think the, the biggest challenges uh, are actually others. So, First of all, you need to get the data you need and understand its scope and limitations. This is highly complex in a humanitarian context where data is collected in a very challenging environment. Second, you need to understand the use case and design a model that is fit for purpose. Um, and then there are several models which are just amazing technical tools, but they are failing to generate uh, an impact just because they are not quite providing decision makers with the information they need. And the last one is uh, communication. Uh, there is still a disconnect between policymakers, decision makers, and technical partners. Uh, oftentimes, uh, technical discussions are happening in silos, but they are important, especially when you use technical models for informing decision-making and response planning. What tools and advice do you provide to those like working in this field? We, we really make an effort to make all humanitarian data available, easy to navigate and analyze. So these data sets are actually coming from more than uh, uh, 1,200 sources. 
So the humanitarian data exchange has more than uh, 100,000 users per month and almost 20,000 data sets shared as of today. And uh, just to give you an idea of where our users are, about a third of our users are based in field locations. People do download data sets, but they also explore uh, the data through many different data visualizations that our team creates, as well as other visualizations made by uh, our colleagues. In addition to the other work streams that I mentioned before, um, namely data policy, data literacy, and predictive analytics, we also provide other data-related services. Uh, so we added a new data grid feature in 2019 to help users understand what data is available and missing across the top humanitarian crisis. The data, the data grid prioritizes core data sets in six categories, such as food, nutrition, health, and education. We are calling on partners to share or help source data that is critical but often missing. We have also developed and are promoting the humanitarian exchange language. This is an effort to increase interoperability of data sets from different sources. It basically provides a simple standard for mass data with the aim of improving information sharing during a humanitarian crisis without adding extra reporting burdens. We also support partners by running systematic quality controls on the main data sets to check for inconsistencies and also statistical disclosure control to determine the risk of re-identification of individuals and groups in the data sets that we share. Now, I know you launched a partnership with Rockefeller Foundation in June, um, earlier this month. Can you tell us about this initiative like, and what do you hope to come out of it? Yeah, that's um, a very exciting partnership that we um, have uh, launched. And we, we really hope it will allow us to increase our technical capacity to, to predict new and compounded risk, and also to better use data and data science uh, to arrive at interventions to mitigate that. So specifically, we have three overarching goals. So the first one is about increasing the technical capacity to develop new models for the humanitarian sector. Uh, to give an example, we have created a model to estimate the scale, the severity, and the duration of the COVID-19 outbreak in countries with humanitarian operations. And this was a major gap that we are trying to fill as most of the models available on the market are mainly focusing on uh, developed countries. So we developed this model initially for uh, Afghanistan, and we uh, have extended to other priority countries, including the Democratic Republic of the Congo, South Sudan, and Sudan. So, and we hope that this projection will inform planning and non-pharmaceutical interventions at the sub-national level by governments and other responders. So that the second goal is about strengthening the peer review process for predictive analytics in the humanitarian sector. And the goal here is to assess not only the technical rigor of models, 
but also the operational readiness and also the evaluation of ethical concerns that the application of models in the humanitarian sector may entail. And the last one is about closing data gaps. As you can imagine, models are just as good as the data we feed them. And many times that's the main limiting factor. And we will work with the Rockefeller Foundation and our partners to close data gaps and make data available in ways that are useful for modeling. That means data that is up-to-date, subnational, and uh, uh, in common formats. And we also uh, want to share model-ready data that can save everyone months of time normally spent on cleaning and processing. Do you envisage one day journalists being able to actually predict stories or humanitarian crises? And, you know, how would that be problematic? What should we be mindful of? Yeah, I think it, it's a very good question. And yes, I think it can be problematic, especially if projections are developed in a, in a non-controlled way or without a very clear uh, guidelines. Uh, as you know, there's a huge excitement around uh, uh, AI and machine learning. And we need to make sure that we don't develop and use models in an irresponsible way. Uh, we already have evidence from uh, other fields, such as uh, the insurance uh, field, uh, advertising, education, and policy, that algorithms can be biased and can reinforce existing inequalities. And this is even more important in the humanitarian sector where people's lives are at stake. Uh, humanitarian response is governed by some key principles known as the humanitarian principles. And these principles should drive our work, not only at the field level, but also when we develop tools and projections for supporting our colleagues in the ground or when we report on uh, humanitarian stories. If they're not gonna try and predict stuff themselves, but they're gonna write about predictions that other people have, what is your advice for them on that? So I think it's important to understand who developed the model and why to first of all kind of understand the the use case and why this model uh, and, and these projections were produced um, in, in the first place because this really would help journalists understand uh, really the scope uh, uh, of of the of the projections and the, uh, the eventual limitations so you know when you read uh, a technical report you have uh, usually uh, a section explaining the methodology with all the boring footnotes explaining the assumptions and the limitations of these models. But these are extremely important because this is where we may have um, important biases uh, uh, coming in uh, that would be reflected in the, in the projections. Uh, a model cannot be better than uh, the data that we uh, use to uh, train the model and to tune uh, the parameters of the model. And, and I think it's, it's really important to understand really what goes uh, into this model. And then I think um, a big question is around the validation. Um, if uh, whether some sort of validation with uh, either historical data or with uh, uh, um, some sort of peer review 
uh, has been done uh, to really understand what is the level of confidence that we should have in this, uh, these projections. Because the risk is that we may use models that, are, that haven't been initially developed for a specific use case. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and, you know, how, from your experience, like, and from what you're seeing, how are people in different organizations using this predictive data that, that your office is providing? The field of predictive analytics has been around for a, a few years now, but its application to the humanitarian sector is rather new. And so the humanitarian system is an incredibly fast and efficient system, but it is a system that is typically set in motion only when humanitarian needs can be quantified. So that means that usually humanitarian action is triggered only after people are impacted by a shock. So, and in this sense, predictive analytics really offers an opportunity to get ahead of these shocks and mitigate the most serious consequences of predictable crises. So there is a growing evidence uh, that early action, or we usually call it anticipatory action interventions undertaken before the full impact of a disaster can help save lives, mitigate suffering, and lower the cost of responding to humanitarian consequences of shocks. So, and at the end of the day, the idea of the anticipatory action is actually very simple. It's mainly about having three interlinked elements in place before a crisis. So first of all, a pre-agreed action plan that outlines feasible and impactful interventions, a pre-agreed contingency financing that is predictable and fast, so basically money that can be used to support the action plans, and then the model, which means a forecast and a decision-making rules that signal when and how the decision to release financing and activate the action plan will work. With this approach, humanitarians would be able, for instance, to um, distribute drought-tolerant seeds varieties ahead of a drought, or uh, to stockpile food and essential items and preposition aid, aid supplies ahead of a, an upcoming flood, flood or cyclone. Um, so it was about uh, more or less. Okay. So. Just to go back to your uh, initial question, I think I would like to see more exchange happening between uh, humanitarians and scientists, meteorologists, data scientists and researchers in order to allow humanitarians to use the best evidence to act in advance of a crisis. And then I think I would like to see less academic research failing to generate real impact because of a lack of understanding of what decision makers need from this from predictive analytics interesting um and just to follow up can you give us some examples of humanitarian crises where this data is being used and to help minimize the you know the impact yeah so there are actually 
a few organizations that have been really pioneering the use of predictive analytics in, uh, in, in humanitarian response. Um, and, I, uh, and I think we can look at what the, uh, for instance, the International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, I, IFRC, um, has, uh, has done in the past. So that's what they call forecast-based financing. And it's really uh, about linking uh, a forecast of a natural hazard to uh, a contingency uh, financing basically uh, an emergency uh, response fund and to uh, a set of actions and they have been activating uh, you know early action uh, protocols that's how they call it in many different locations on many different types of uh, hazards going from uh, uh, heat waves in uh, in central america to cold waves in uh, in mongolia tropical cyclones in uh, uh, Southeast Asia and floods in uh, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. And I think another good example could be uh, the work done by the World Health Organization, WHO. Um, the um, Ebola crisis in West Africa in, uh, uh, in 2014 was probably uh, one of the first times where models were used uh, really uh, in, to inform operations uh, and to uh, respond to the uh, uh, ongoing outbreak. But WHO is also using models and predictive analytics, for instance, to uh, model uh, the spread of uh, influenza uh, across uh, many countries. And more, more recently, uh, it's using uh, COVID-19 uh, models to plan uh, their uh, response to the to the outbreak. So, what do you believe has been the impact of predictive data on conflict zones, and how can this help the people who are actually caught in the middle of these crises? Yeah, um, that's a, a a very good question, and a, 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 it's actually a very challenging context. And many research groups have tried to use. Uh, data science techniques to predict where and when the next conflict is going to happen using historical data and, uh, and combining different data sets with some interesting results. Uh, however, given the intrinsic human element in most of the conflicts uh, happening, this is something that for now uh, is mainly developed in uh, uh, academic environments. Most of the conflict prediction models fail when used uh, in a very specific or let's say in a very deterministic way. Uh, however, there are some good examples of conflict models which have uh, been used to estimate the underlying risk of conflict and insecurity. These are models which are used more as a probabilistic uh, models to identify hotspots of risk rather than rather than the occurrence of new conflict events. But I think an interesting application of predictive analytics in uh, conflict settings is actually related to uh, monitoring and information gathering in uh, areas with little or no uh, humanitarian access. For instance, uh, the UN Human Rights Agency is exploring how to use uh, digital tools to enhance monitoring and analysis 
by the, the UN field presence of hate speech and incitement of, uh, to violence and discrimination. But predictive models have been used in the past also to get information from uh, areas with no humanitarian access. For instance, uh, satellite images could be used to estimate uh, housing and infrastructure uh, destruction in, uh, in conflict zone. And this information can be used for, uh, for planning uh, operations. So, so to summarize, in conflict settings, uh, predictive analytics represent an opportunity to get additional insights from new and, uh, if you want, unconventional sources of data. I personally think that we are uh, kind of far away from using it as a, an event prediction tool. Um, and I'm curious, do you have any top resources um, or books you could recommend, you know, for educated journalists in this subject? Yeah, and as I said earlier, I think um, a good starting point would be uh, to look at how different organizations, and I mentioned WHO and uh, uh, the Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, but also uh, the World Food Program, the Food and uh, Agriculture Organization, uh, FAO, and the Start Network, that is an international network of uh, national and international uh, aid organizations. So these are some of the organizations that uh, have, you know, have been really pioneering the use of uh, uh, predictive analytics. And uh, uh, there's actually a, an annual event called uh, the Global Dialogue Platform on uh, Anticipatory Action, which gathers humanitarian actors, meteorologists, climate scientists, national governments, and, and decision makers. So, and I think its annual report is, is probably the best starting point for having an idea of what is going uh, going on in the in the sector uh, we uh, at the center we're also uh, finalizing a report which is really looking at if you want at the at the life cycle of predictive models in uh, uh, in the humanitarian sector and how organizations are integrating these new tools in their business models uh, the report should be uh, available around the end of July and uh, will highlight best practices and provide recommendations for using predictive analytics in the uh, in the humanitarian sector. So tell us about the report that you're working on with Johns Hopkins University and Rockefeller Foundation. Yeah, so um, yeah, I think this is probably uh, the most uh, exciting piece that we are about to 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 release, um, and uh, is some work that we're doing with the Johns Hopkins uh, Applied Physics Laboratory on uh, on COVID nineteen. Um, so there are many many, as you can imagine, models available uh, and studies on COVID nineteen, but there is very little information available to inform humanitarian response intervention. So, and, and the goal of this, uh, uh, this work is to support our colleagues in the field, estimating the scale, the severity, and the duration of COVID-19 outbreak in countries with, uh, with major uh, humanitarian operations. So we have developed an initial model for Afghanistan, and we have extended this model to other priority countries, such as the uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo, South Sudan, and Sudan. 
Uh, and this is really an exciting project, and I hope it will uh, add, provide additional insights into the current crisis in a, a humanitarian context. Given that the current situation, timing is extremely important. So we really uh, hope to uh, finalize this work in the next uh, couple of weeks ahead of the expected peak uh, of COVID-19 in, uh, in these countries. Thank you, Leonardo, so much for joining us today on Conversations with Data. I just wondered if you had any final thoughts on what the impact predictive analytics can have on the world. Thanks for having me and for um, giving me the opportunity to tell you uh, about our work. Uh, as you may have noticed, we have been ambitious, uh, and that was done on purpose, in drafting the strategy and the work plan around predictive analytics. But we think that such a strategy has really the potential to uh, accelerate critical assistance to the people in need before a situation escalates. So for you and for those listening, I hope you share our vision and our passion and will engage with us on this topic. And we look forward to hearing from you. A big thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I've been your host, Tara Kelly, and that's all for now. See you next time.